turn to Joshua chapter 7. Actually, we're going we're going to hit a few of the highlights from chapter 6 because we need to get into the context of uh, of what's happening. You remember we stopped last week when Jericho Jericho was uh taken by Israel. Uh, somebody came up, I think it was Lee came up and he he was asking about whether or not I'd heard and and whether or not I knew if the walls just went right down into the ground or did they fall over or uh, whatever because the scripture does say they went straight in. And, uh, you know, I had to be honest and say, I don't really know. I've never been there. I don't know if they're laying over on the side or if they're down in the ground or whatever. All I do know is that God's promise was fulfilled. <laughs> and whether they fell over or went down in, they were able to go in and take, take the city. And so at the conclusion of that, uh, let's go to chapter 6, begin at verse 12, and we'll, we'll read through uh, so that we can get the context here. It, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp, so they did for six days. And on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, then the, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it, and here's, here's where I want you to pay close attention. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Okay, you might want to make a note of that or underline it or something along that line. The city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab and the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things that are devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take, the, take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. And so now it goes on and it gives the rest of the story. Now let's go over, let's go over to chapter 7. It's interesting to me though, before we do that, that, that God did not allow them to keep the things of the city. He did not allow them to keep the, the people uh, so that they could become slaves. He did not allow them to keep the animals for provision. He said these things are devoted for destruction. What, what a thing it is when God looks at something and determines that, that it cannot be useful in his kingdom. It may, it may seem in our minds that we ought to keep this stuff. We, we ought to put this into the kingdom of God. But God said, no, it is to be devoted. It is to be marked for destruction. I don't want you to have it. I don't want you to use it. Number one, God was going to provide for them everything that they needed. They didn't need the stuff. 
And number two, it would always represent to them the evil that existed and the way that all of that stuff was, was gotten, it was gotten through ill will and, Ill, and, and evil ways. Uh, you, know, you know, I kind of making fun earlier about when I came, I, I cried a lot. I, I really did kind of cry a lot during that time because I, it was a hard time. And I remember there were days that I walked through in that back building all that stuff. I don't know if you remember all that stuff. I went through some pictures the other day on one of my uh, computers and I saw all that stuff back there. And, and I remember just walking through it at times and thinking, oh dear, dear God, what are we going to do? You know, we, you know, maybe we need this stuff. And there was a time uh, when we were trying to put some kind of way together that we could make an offer and say, look, let us give you X amount of dollars and you just leave all this stuff here. And I just one day I just kind of got in my spirit that God was not going to let us have that stuff. He didn't want us to have that stuff. But I, I really felt confident that what he, in fact, he, he spoke to me one day. I don't know if you remember this. And I said, I, I believe the Lord wants us to give this stuff away. It, it didn't belong to us in the first place. It wasn't ours. But in our minds... We were taking possession of it. In our minds, we were counting on getting it. In our minds, we were thinking, how can we use it? And if you'll remember, one day after church, I said, when church is over today, we're going to take all these black chairs and stack them up, and we're going to put them out here in the lodge because they're not ours to keep. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get rid of them. And we did. And, of course, you know the story about how that God miraculously provided for us everything that we needed and has continued to do that from, from that day all the way to now. It's, a, it's amazing to me that, you know, we were having a problem on this stage the last few weeks with so many different speakers and things like that, and, and, and we needed to make some changes, and I never said a word about it. I, ne I never said anything to anybody, and somebody came up and said, I want to purchase the system that you need for those in-ear monitors and I, I said well you know how did you know that we needed that and he said I, I just feel like I knew that you needed it and he said I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for it and paid cash for it so you know it's been one thing after another after another after another where the Lord has said if you have need I'm gonna provide it no, we have to trust you. So now here in this situation, they had gone into Jericho. They had completely taken the city. But God said there are certain things in there that I don't want you to have. I don't want you to possess them. And therefore, I'm telling you, do not have them in your possession except for Rahab and her family who was to be saved because of the covenant that the spies had made with her. And then there were a few items that they were going to take uh, for the temple to be used there. But other than that, the, the, the donkeys... The men, the women, the young, the old, the oxen, the sheep, the donkeys with the... said, just slay them all. Just get rid of all of it. And so that was what God said to do. Now, here we are, chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, 
took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now let me just stop long enough to point out a couple of things. It's interesting to me that the writer says the people. Now when you say people, it's different than person, isn't it? Person is singular. Person means one. People means many. And God says the people have broken covenant. But only one person had been responsible for breaking that covenant. But that one person, because he was part of the nation that was in covenant with God, brought destruction upon the entire nation. All of the people were cursed because of the sin of one man. His name was, was Achan. And so now, and then, and then it says, he took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people, not just Achan, but the people because they had broken covenant. Now, what does it mean to break covenant? The, 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 the wording here in the Hebrew is, is it, it brings with it the connotation of a, a violent removal. It was not an accident, in other words. In other words, they didn't just say, oh, sorry. I mean, I really didn't mean to do that. That was totally an accident. I mean, it's like my father-in-law one day got arrested for, for shoplifting. He didn't get arrested. But he got out in the parking lot. A cop came and they, they said, you know, you've shoplifted. And he's, and he's never done anything like that in his life. He said, I, did, I most certainly did not shoplift anything. And they said, yeah. I said, what's that in your back pocket? And he reached back there, and there was like a screwdriver or something like that in his pocket. And he said, oh. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I meant to buy that. He said, <laughs> he said I was walking through, and he said, I saw the, the screwdriver that I needed, and I thought, well, I'm going to get that. And he said, I just stuck it in my pocket, and I kept looking around for, for other things. And he, he bought the other items. But he forgot the screwdriver in his pocket. And so they came and got him for, for shoplifting. I, I won't let him live that down. You know, it's, it's funny to me. But it was an accident. It was, not, it was not something that he had done on purpose. He would never do that. He's a very honest man. Uh, but but it, and so what I'm saying is, that in this instance, it was not an accident. They didn't stick a screwdriver in their back pocket and then all of a sudden that night in the tent say, Oh my goodness, I can't believe that I brought this thing home with me. The terminology here and the wording here implies that there was a purposeful breaking off of the covenant. They had determined in their mind, we don't really care what God says about this. We know what he said, but we're not going to do what he said do. We're going to break the covenant. And so one man was responsible for bringing a curse upon the entire nation because he willfully broke covenant with God. Aren't you glad that we live in a day of grace and where God allows us to have a personal relationship with him? Now, with that said, we all know that there are times that our poor decisions can affect other people. The decisions that we make have the ability to affect an entire family. 
At that, that's, we were kind of talking about that last night with John and Liz. We're sitting around the table and just talking about, you know, siblings and, and family members and who went through seasons and talking about myself and how that my dad pastored in a small rural community and, and, and I was living in a way that brought great shame to he and my mother, but I didn't care. I, I was just at a place where I didn't care. I knew how I should live. I knew that everybody was watching me, but I didn't care. I had broke covenant. And so my actions reflected on my mom and dad in a negative way in that small town. But I was the one, they weren't going to take mom and dad out and stone them. They weren't going to go out and burn them because we live in a day of grace. But in the Old Testament, God meant business with this kind of thing. And so uh, he broke faith. And that, that's an interesting phrase there. Verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Aven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. Nothing new about that. They'd done that many times. And the men went up and spy, spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up. But let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. And do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now let me just ask you, what is the key thing here that is missing in, the, in these uh, uh, verses 2 through 5? What's the key thing that is missing? Anybody want to take a shot at it? God? I'm sorry? The ark, well, they weren't there. That's not what I'm looking for, but we're getting close. They didn't ask God for his exactly right. They, always before, Joshua had gotten with God and said, you know, how are we going to do this? What's the strategy? What's the plan here? The thing that's missing here is prayer. And so, so often I have learned in my own life that when I make mistakes and when I goof up, it's because I haven't really taken the time to pray a thing through. Uh, you know, now there are times in life that you have to make decisions on the spot. I mean, you just can't help it. I mean, you have to decide. You have to be instant, in season and out of season. And you have to be ready to call a shot sometimes uh, when you don't have time. Uh, that's the reason why we are to be continually in a spirit of prayer. And, 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 Yet, it's missing here. I mean, we don't see that. All we see is, is that Joshua says, I want you spies to go up and spy out Ai. And they went out and they spied out Ai, but they spied it in the flesh. And they sized it up based on logic and reason rather than supernatural direction. Now, let's go back to Jericho. If they had not had supernatural direction, then what happened at Jericho 
would have never happened in the manner that it did. That's the way God does things. God doesn't always do things in a natural process. God sometimes takes the hard route to bring victory because it will bring greater glory to his name. And that's what he's after. Oh, he's still going to bless you. You're still going to get your promises. You're still going to get your blessings. He can give it to you in the easy way, but by making you walk around the hard way and the long way and the difficult way, you still get your blessing in the long run, but now he gets greater glory for it. And so now, you know, here they said, well, let's just, let's go up and spy the land. And the men went up, it says, and spied it out. And they returned to Joshua and they said to him, don't have all the people go up. Let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai, but don't make the whole people toil up there for they are few. See, they weren't, they weren't wanting to put in any effort here whatsoever. They thought that this was an easy win. They, they, they didn't see this as being any problem at all. And, and what they presumed was is that we can take care of this and we don't even have to bother God with this one. We don't have to even bother him with this one. Because all we got to do is just take a handful of our people up there and, and, and we can win this thing. And, but that's not what happened. It says, don't make the whole people go up there. They're few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And here's the end result. The hearts of the people melted and became as water. You, you know how that, I can translate that for you. I can translate that for you. They all lost their faith. They all lost their faith because of one defeat. But the defeat was so, so major that it caused them to second guess everything now. I, through the years, I've tried to put myself in the context of what's happening here. God, I mean, they'd just gone through the whole 10 plagues with Pharaoh and, and Moses throwing sticks down and picking them back up and miracles taking place and going to the Red Sea and the Red Sea coming back and walking through on dry ground and then God striking them. And I mean, they'd seen that. They had seen that through their forefathers. They'd heard the stories of their moms and dads. And now, and now here they are. They're at a place where God does it again for them. They've set up memorial stones in the river and outside of the river at Gilgal so that when the kids come by and say, what do those stones mean that they can say? The God of Israel gave us deliverance. And they had experienced that. They, had, they, they saw it with their eyes. I mean, this was not some movie that they watched in the theater. It actually happened. And now they've just seen the walls of Jericho come falling down and they didn't do a thing other than just walk around in silence and then on the last day, play a few trumpets and make a little bit of noise. And God took care of business. And now here they are. And they've gone up to Ai. And Ai defeats them and kills 36 of their 3,000 men. And they are so void of faith that they don't even hardly have strength to stand on their own two feet. It became like water. Have you ever had an experience like that in your life? I mean, have you really, have you ever had something where God just did some amazing thing 
Just some amazing thing. And then two weeks later, something happens. And here you are back at a place where you're questioning your faith. It's, it's interesting to me this past weekend. I, you know, I don't always preach like I preach Sunday. But I, I really felt prophetically in my, in my spirit to, to say what I said about the Egyptians. And, and, and these Egyptians that you see today... You're never going to see again. And I had people saying, you know, boy, when I, when I get home, my Egyptian's going to still be on the couch. And when I'm, you know, when I get home, my Egyptian's still going to be this and this and that and whatever. But you know what? Sometimes we're looking at the wrong Egyptian. Because the scripture says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting a spouse or a child or, or, or anything like that. I'm fighting in an unseen spiritual realm. And the Egyptians that we're fighting are not people. The Egyptians that we're fighting are in the spirit realm. And God has given us the ability to overcome those things. We're overcomers. And there are times that God removes an Egyptian from our life. And we don't have to ever face that thing again. But there are more Egyptians. They'll come again tomorrow. But by beating a previous Egyptian then we have our faith built and bolstered to the point that now when another Egyptian comes, we can say, well, I'm not bothered by you, man. I've seen God do so many incredible, crazy, wonderful, impossible things. Why in the world should I be afraid of you? You're just another notch in God's belt. I'm going to be okay. God's going to give me the victory. I may not see it yet. I may not feel it in my bones. And that's the problem with Pentecostals. We have to spit on everything and feel it in our bones or it's not victory. And sometimes it, it just it just happens, and, and so and so here we are. Now they took matters into their own hands. They did not ask for God's blessing. They did not take the ark in front of them. They just took a few of their people and said, "Go up there and wipe up on them, and then come back, and then we'll determine what we want to do from there." And God sent a very clear message: You're not going to win this battle without me. You're not going to go without my presence. You're not going to move without my direction. Because if you try to do that, I want to set the standard right now that you will be defeated every time if you try to do it without me. And so that's what's going on. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore, aren't you? Man, I'd hate to have to do that every time I messed up. I'd just keep my hair dirty all the time. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites? Now see, they're not thinking about their their previous enemies now. They've already got their focus on some other situation. Why are you going to give us up to them to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. And they will surround us. And they will cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? I just don't get it. 
I mean, when you think of the context, when you think of the history, and, and yet, can I be very honest? I, I'm the same way as Joshua. I mean, I've seen God do so many miraculous things in the last five and a half years. I should never doubt anything God does ever again, never in my life. And yet I find myself sometimes saying, oh God, if you don't help us, we're, we're dead. We're, we're done. It's over. God, if you don't do something. It's this natural thing in us that we have to constantly keep under the Spirit of God and keep under control. Yeah, well, you know, we, we did okay in this situation. Oh, but, you know, there's always tomorrow and, man, there's always another enemy and there's always another sickness and there's always another pain in the neck that I have to deal with and there's always... And here, here's the leader of Israel. And that, that's the key right now. Because the people have their eyes focused on Joshua. They, let me restate that. They have their eyes focused on God through Joshua. They have their, God had told Joshua, I'm going to raise you up. And I'm going to put my anointing upon you just like I did Moses. And they're going to respect you and honor you and follow you. But in reality, as they follow you, they're going to be following me. Because I'm going to be in relationship and covenant with you in such a way that every step that you make and every step that you take, I'm going to give it into your hands. I'm going to give you the anointing and the power and the ability to overtake it. And now here's Joshua. He's as low in his faith as anybody else there. God, why did you bring us out here? You know, it's amazing that God doesn't just kill all of us and get it over with. I mean. It's like Donna told me years ago, we hadn't been married very long, and I, we were in a, it, you know, just in a hard season of ministry and whatever, and I came home every night and sighed a lot and, and, and you know, just complained a bunch and sat down in my lazy boy and gripe and, and negative as all could be, and she just looked at me in one day and she said, why don't you just kill yourself and get it over with? I said, well, thank you for that. A shocking statement when your wife says, like, like Lot's wife, why don't you just, why don't you just curse God and die? And that's basically what she was saying. But I have used that line on her a few times as well. I just want you to know. But it's pretty bad when the leader gets discouraged. And it's pretty bad when the one who's supposed to be di directing under the anointing of God is down and out. And that's where Joshua is right here. And I, you know what I think it is? I, I, and I say this from my own perspective. I don't know, I don't have really any way to prove this theologically, except that I've experienced this in ministry. When you're in ministry, you're all the time hoping for the best for the people that you're pastoring. I, I, I pray for you. I believe, I, I don't know that I've ever prayed for anybody in our church said, God, just kill them and get it over with. I Lord, don't, don't bless them. Don't, don't let goodness come into their life. Lord, make, cause them to make a terrible decision here in this situation. God, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I just, when I pray for you and when I think of you and I believe for you and Donna and I pray for you, it's we want God to bless you and we want God to help you make the right decisions and the right choices and to make the right moves in your life. 
And, and, and I believe God for that. And then when people in the church make stupid decisions, and then they have to pay the consequences, it grieves me. And, it, and, and in many ways, it causes me to feel like a failure. Because I'm the guy preaching to you and saying, if you'll do these things that God says do, then God says he'll bless you. And he will honor his word. And I believe for you. I believe that you'll do it. And then when you don't do it, it's like, you know, and it, and it makes me sometimes feel like, well, if I'd have communicated differently, you know, if I'd have said it differently, if I hadn't been such a smart aleck, if I hadn't been, you know, if I hadn't talked about this, or if I hadn't said it like that, or if I had said this, and, and, and preachers have a tendency to be pretty heavy on, on themselves, and and, and hard on themselves because, you know, we've been called to communicate the most important information that you will ever have in your life. And if we manipulate it or move it for personal gain or if we misrepresent it, then it, it keeps you from being able to have the blessing in your life that I know that you can have. If you can get this in your spirit and then act on it in obedience. And now here's Joshua in this setting. And he's told them what God said he's going to do. He's already told them. God said everywhere we set our feet. We're going to, we're going to take that into our possession. God said that we're going to go into Jericho. And we're, go, we're going to take the city. At, but that we're not supposed to touch the devoted things. So please don't touch the devoted things. Because God has already said, if you touch the devoted things, then it's going to bring a curse upon us. So don't touch the devoted things. Does everyone understand? Don't touch the devoted things. And he's given this message time after time after time after time. And one dummy decides to touch the devoted thing. And because he does, he brings curse upon the entire nation. And I just imagine that Joshua probably was in the condition that he was in emotionally because he probably felt like, well, if I were a better leader, if I could have said it differently, if I could have, if I could have somehow gotten this one individual to understand and to take God at his word, then we wouldn't have to be dealing with the hardship that we're now dealing with. And I've thought about so many times during our lives because of just a few decisions or because of one individual or, or because of one thing that happens, it derails an entire work of God for a season or for a period of time. And so that, that's, that's where they're at. And so now Joshua is even low in faith. And then verse 10, and then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. <laughs> I just love that. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? He said, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. Who did he say sinned? Israel. People. Not a person. People. Israel has sinned. They, plural, have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. And they have taken some of the devoted things and they have stolen and they have lied and they have put them among their own belongings. 
Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Let me just stop because I don't want to miss this. I, I, I read uh, one commentator that said that when you go back and look at the Hebrew language here, that when, when he says that they have, they have turned their backs to their enemies, that the picture that he's trying to point here is that they've given up and they're ready to be shot in the back. They don't want to be shot in the face. They don't, they don't want the enemy to look them eyeball to eyeball. They wanted to be shot in the back because they knew that the eye contact would send a message that God had failed them. And so literally what he's picturing here is Israel who had come to a place where now they're saying just, just, just hours before they were in the greatest victory of their lives and now they've been beaten and 36 guys get killed out of 3,000 and now they, they, because of the sin and the way that it has brought them down, they've decided to turn their back to the enemy so that the enemy could shoot them in the back. Now think about that. Get that picture in your mind. To get to a place in your life where you've so given up. That you're willing just to say. I surrender to the enemy. Whatever you need to do to me. Want to do to me. Just do it. After all the blessings. That God had bestowed upon them. He says. I will be with you no more. Unless. You destroy the devoted things from among you. So he says to Joshua again, he says, Get up and consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. And you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. What was the outrageous thing that he did? He had stolen from God. He had stolen and taken of the devoted things. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zebdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, 
Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. And they burned them with fire. And stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Now what is that? It is a memorial. It is a different type of memorial. And then the Lord turned from his burning anger. And therefore to this day the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Okay. What, what has gone on here is sin on many levels. Now the reason that God linked Israel in with Achan and his family and his tribe was more than just the fact that Achan had taken from the devoted things. Because Israel, most commentators will believe that there were others who knew that Achan had taken it. And yet they had covered up for him. I mean, in the reading that we just read, there was lying that took place. There was covering up that took place. There was hiding that took place. There was deception that took place. Uh, there was coveting that took place. Achan said, I saw it, I saw these things, and I coveted those things. So there, there's a whole potpourri, if you will, of sinful attitudes and actions that are taking place. And God knows that here at the very beginning, that if he does not let them know that he will not tolerate sin, that there will be other things that will be added to their actions and their activities. And so God had to take this thing very seriously at this time. And he had to deal with this in the way that he did. Now, I, through the years, I've had people ask me on multiple occasions, why would I want to serve a God who is, is able to get angry and then kill people at the drop of a hat? What you have to understand is, and I can't, I can't, in the few minutes that we have, I can't describe it completely, but you have totally two different dispensations of time. In the Old Testament, God met with people in a very different way. He was establishing his covenant with mankind. 
He was establishing a lineage and a nation that had to remain holy because it was going to produce the Messiah who would ultimately come many years down the road, the Son of God who would be born as a sinless individual, and God was establishing this pattern of holiness among his people. And so there was no grace in the Old Testament. God did not deal with people by way of grace in the Old Testament. He dealt with people in the Old Testament by way of judgment, by righteousness. And if you, if you committed a crime or a sin, then you paid the price which oftentimes resulted in death so that, so that the nation could be pure. That's the reason he, he would not allow them to marry outside of Israel. They had to marry within their own tribes. God was establishing a nation uh, that would be his people that would belong to him and would represent a holy lineage that would produce the Messiah, his son. Then when Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross at Calvary and the, the temple veil was torn into. And it created an altogether separate and different way that God now would deal with individuals. He's not dealing with people in, in lumps necessary. He's dealing with us individually. He's calling us individually to righteousness. I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go through uh, the slaying of an animal and the shedding of blood and the things of that nature. No, there's a new and living way that has been brought to us through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And so he deals with us now in a very different way than he dealt with people in the Old Testament. Thank God for grace. That's all I can say. Thank God for grace. Thank God for second chances. Thank God for new beginnings. Thank God for forgiveness. The New Testament says, don't sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Don't sin, but if you sin, confess your sin. And he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you, not kill you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is dealing with mankind by way of grace now and not by way of covenant in the Old Testament that was solely based on works and what they did and what they offered and the blood that they shed through the giving of animals and sacrifices. And we don't have to do that anymore because God, through Jesus Christ, did that one time. Sin came into the world by one man and by, by one man, life came into the world and forgiveness. Sin came by Adam, but life and forgiveness came through Jesus Christ. And you have to keep in mind, and I'm, I'm out of time, you have to keep in mind that the Old Testament is historically accurate. But it is also a, a vision to the future. It is a type and a shadow of a new kind of relationship that would come to mankind through Jesus Christ. So we read the Old Testament historically, but we also read it so that our eyes can be opened to the revelation of Jesus Christ 
who would ultimately come many years later down the road. So what God, how did we get the Bible? The Bible came to us as the Spirit of God moved upon holy men who transcribed and wrote what God told them to say. So God makes no mistakes. And, and, and God doesn't say, oops, I didn't mean to say that. God knew what needed to happen he knew when it needed to happen, and he knew how it needed to be recorded so that we could hear it and understand in such a way that it would lead us ultimately to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, listen, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thankful for grace because I'm not a perfect man. But grace allows us to go back. I don't have to get saved and resaved and resaved and resaved. I was taught that all my life. And all my life, I was afraid that am I saved or am I not saved? Am I under grace or am I not under grace? I cussed today, you know, I maybe, I didn't, I didn't cuss today. But I'm, I know some of you are going to go home now and say, Pastor, confess to cussing today. I did not cuss today. But there were days in my life that I thought, well, I said a bad word today. So am I saved or am I not saved? See, it, it, it doesn't work that way. We're under grace. I don't have to get saved every day. I am saved. I am being sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am, being ju I am justified. And one of these days I'm going to be resurrected. And I'm going to walk in perfection when I find myself in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua.